Well, aloha, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, live from Maui, Hawaii. It's Sunday afternoon in the mainland. It's a little after 11 in the morning here in Maui, and uh, a beautiful day. I hope it's a nice day where you are, and that you're in the holiday spirit, whether it's, uh, you know, Hanukkah or Christmas, uh, Solstice or Kwanzaa or what do you got the new year solstice i think is what it's really all about i think of the midwinter holidays and they've all pretty much been aligned with the most ancient which is the midwinter solstice the point where the nights begin to get a little shorter days start getting a little longer and and by spring a little warmer as well so that's a good reason to celebrate and that's why a lot of religious holidays are clustered around this time of year. So it's a great time of year to be with friends and family. And I hope you feel that that spirit, whether secular, religious, uh, philosophical, spiritual, esoteric, metaphysical, <laughs> however you happen to experience it. Uh, uh, I hope you're enjoying yourself and maybe getting some some time off of work, taking it easy. Our topic for the day today is forgiveness. We were going to do this last week on December 5th. Did I say today's the 12th of 2010? But we had a technical problem. The people that called on the telephone were able to speak with each other, but the uh, website did not dial in to the telephone conference call. That's basically how all of this works. It's a telephone conference call, even though most of you never use the phone. And uh, the website dials into that, allows me to control both the website and the telephone side from the web. I can do that as the moderator. And you have your choice of either listening in or participating um, in either event. But last week, and the people that run this service for me couldn't tell me exactly what happened. They did apologize, and as I said a few minutes ago, since the program was on forgiveness, what could I do? Uh, I had to, I had to forgive them and sort of roll with it, see what I could learn about that. Again, we'll talk about the seven pillars of forgiveness today as well. Um, how to forgive? Why to forgive? And the primary point of all of this, that forgiveness is really not something you do for other people so much as something you do for yourself. Forgiveness is a gift to yourself. Certainly other people benefit. That's one of the reasons it's a gift to everybody. But primarily, if the only reason were to do it for yourself, that'd be enough. That other people also benefit from your learning to forgive and seek the understanding and responsibility of setting yourself up for it in the first place, uh, so much the better. Everybody then benefits. But that's the very first point I want to make. Uh, it doesn't mean that we practice forgiveness, and it is a practice. We'll do it awkwardly and inelegantly at first, and take more time than is necessary uh, turning it over in our minds and pondering whether we really should but um, 
if, if, if the only reason to do it were for yourself, that would not make it a selfish thing. Um, usually we think of selfishness or self-centeredness as something that benefits the false self. That's why it's thought of as a negative thing to be selfish or self-centered because it's the false self, the separated self, the fear-based persona or egoic self that we're trying to protect or defend or reward when we refuse to forgive and thereby blame somebody else for a circumstance or for a feeling, an emotion, or a set of emotions. And blame, the whole idea of blame, is uh, the insidious part of all of this. Blame always flares initially out of fight-or-flight response. Because when we're emotionally upset or hurt, the brain perceives that emotional hurt or upset as if it were danger. All right? And so it reacts as if your emotional hurt is a kind of a physical attack and somebody did it to you. So to blame somebody for the way you feel, to hold them responsible and then refuse to forgive is to actually give away your power through blame to somebody else. You're empowering people to hurt you and then refusing to let go of the hurt to prove some sort of point. Now, again, I was originally scheduled to do this program last week, and again, I apologize. I hope you forgive me for not being able to do that due to a technical glitch. One of the things I posted on Twitter and Facebook last week about this program, Forgiveness, was um, how curious it is that people will hold a grudge, that is, hold on to their pain, to their hurt, and to their feeling upset, and refuse to forgive, refuse to let go of that grudge, refuse to give up that pain to prove some sort of point. And the question I asked in my posting on Facebook and Twitter, and I got a lot of response to it. Several people said, man, I never even thought of that. Was, what are you getting from it? Right? It's, it's like if you pick it, it'll never heal. Why do you keep poking yourself where you're already hurt? Why is, what is it about human nature that encourages us or tempts us to continually revisit that emotional pain, to stir it up, to make sure it's alive, to keep stimulating the hurt in an effort to what? To prove to the person or the group that hurt you that they're bad because, look, you still hurt. Um, it's quite possible you're talking about a relationship where those people don't care that much about you anyway. That may be the source of the hurt in the first place. So you're going to carry hurt about people that hurt you 
because they don't care about you without recognizing that it's your need for them to care for you that is behind the herd in the first place. The, the responsibility that we have to turn the blame around, release it. I don't mean go from blaming others to self-blame. I mean to, to, to I guess it's not turning it around so much as letting it go. That's what forgiveness is, letting go of the blame, letting go of the hurt. Putting it down, just letting it go right here. The hurt and this concept we have of blame. You don't go from blaming others to blaming yourself. That's not what I mean by personal responsibility. It's about recognizing the way we set ourselves up for the hurt and then wear it like some badge of courage, holding the grudge, telling people how hurt we are, complaining about the hurt, and yet we are the ones that choose to hurt, to carry that initial hurt when you could have taken ownership of it, explored it fully, and through understanding your emotional hurt and upset, let it go. You see, forgiving others for having done it to you or put you in that situation. More importantly, forgiving yourself for buying into it. Let's say it's an insult. Let's say somebody insults you. And you could imagine uh, somebody that knows you very well who insults you versus somebody you don't even know who insults you. The same words will have different impact depending on the source of the words, right? But when they hurt you, how quickly can we go from a victim of having been insulted and hurt to someone who has taken ownership and empowered themselves by taking responsibility, the ability to choose your response. You see, you make it now about your response. Ow, that hurt. That was like an arrow right in my heart. Ow. Okay, that's been done to you. They hurt you. Maybe they intended you. To, maybe they intended to. Most likely they did not intend to, especially if it's somebody that you care about and who cares about you. They probably did not intend to hurt you. Doesn't matter to you, though. You've been hurt. The brain perceives that as danger. You kick into fight or flight, get angry as a defense, and then hold on to that anger, hold on to that grudge, hold on to that defensiveness as if it were going to protect you from being hurt again in the future. And it won't, because that same person is going to come around and hurt you again. If this person is abusive and doing this on purpose, if it's their intention to hurt you, then you want to back away from that relationship, whatever the nature of the relationship. It might be a marriage, it might be somebody you work with, or somebody you know from the, the PTA or your service club or something. 
abusive people we can just back away from. In most cases, it's that simple. Sometimes it's a little harder to back away than than others. But if if a person is repeatedly abusive, you don't have to expose yourself to that. But you have the power. Each of us has the power to recognize that it's our need for people to love us, to accept and approve of us that sets us up for this hurt and this disappointment and this suffering, which we then prolong and compound by refusing to forgive. As if it's something we're doing for somebody else and they may not deserve to be forgiven. That's one of the most confusing parts of all of this. Nobody really knows what that means, but that's where a lot of folks come from. Well, I'm not going to forgive them because they don't deserve it. That's a judgment. They don't deserve it. Now, this is two of the three things the mind does. Actually, it's all three, the third being control. We judge things. We judge people. We judge what they say. We judge events and circumstances. The mind is constantly judging as right or wrong or good or bad. This is in my interest. This is not in my interest. This is my responsibility. No, this they are to blame for. Constantly judging, constantly seeking approval. What is this need that we have for everybody to like us? How could we be so insecure? Especially people that have a sense of themselves as spiritual beings made in the image of of whatever created us. Right? What, What piece of art does not contain a bit of the artist? What painting or drawing or sculpture or speech or song or dance does not contain part of the writer, the composer, the the artist, the creator? And so in that sense, we're in the image of our creator, and we doubt ourselves. We look at the magnificence of the universe, and, and we doubt that we're okay. We wonder whether we're good enough. So much so that much of our lives is a petition to other people to like us. It's like that most telling moment. It's been years now, 10 years, or when, when Sally Field gets the Academy Award and she says, you like me, you really, really like me. She couldn't believe it. And in that moment, many people realized that's why she was an actor. That's why she went into show business, was to try to prove to herself that she was likable, that she was lovable. Well, now you want to look at her childhood, right, and and wonder what was missing there. Better to look at her own childhood. Better to know thyself than other people. So bring it to what did we not get in childhood 
that causes each of us to spend so much of our waking day seeking approval and acceptance and a little bit of that Sally Field, you really like me, don't you? You really, really like me. Why do we need that? I I can understand that you'd like it, that you want it, that it feels like a warm blanket, helps you to feel safe and protected and not so alone, not so separated or alienated. I know that we can like it, but to need it? I don't know. I don't think we do need it. Again, I think simple meditation will put you in touch with the source of love that is greater than anything that you could get from other people speaking to you and reassuring you or even physically hugging or holding you. Through meditation, you can know a much greater quality of love and peace of mind and fulfillment. But it's practice. Like forgiveness itself, it's a practice. So reconsider holding the grudge. Consider those people who are able to forgive, who, unlike the common man, seeks not revenge, but immediately forgives. And if not immediately, as soon as possible. (laughs) as soon as emotionally feasible to take a breath and put it down and let it go put that burden that package of anger and hurt and victimization put it in the Dempsey dumpster put it in the recycle bin no don't recycle it Put it in the trash bin. <laughs> Put it in the incinerator. Let it go. Throw it down a black hole. Right? Let it vaporize. It's not in our interest to hold a grudge. And again, I posted this a week ago on uh, Facebook, and several people said, you know, man, I never even thought of that before. I've never even heard it discussed. I don't know why I do that. I guess I do it because I was taught to do it. Because I saw my parents and friends holding grudges. As if they were going to prove to the person that hurt them, or the group, or the whole world watching. The whole world is going to watch me hold on to this hurt, prolong it, and compound it. I like the word exacerbate. There's a good 50-cent word. (laughs) Prolong and compound the hurt to prove what? And what are you proving? And who are you proving it to? And why do you need to prove anything to anybody? That's not what makes the hurt go away. Sympathy doesn't do it. Pity doesn't do it. Uh, understanding how badly you've been hurt does not promote healing. Healing is about understanding how you set yourself up for it. How did you make yourself and why did you make yourself so vulnerable? 
What is this constant petitioning for approval and this need for acceptance, this perpetual judgment of other people? Right? Why do we keep doing that? What do we need to know about ourselves that we don't yet know? What is it that we need to understand about ourselves to accept that we're okay exactly as we are, we are sufficient, and to put down the worries and the doubts and the fears and just be okay with who you are. What it takes is mindfulness, a detached attention to what's happening in your life. And when you pay attention, moment to moment, without judgment, those three things, pay attention, moment to moment, without judgment, Well, then there are no more grudges. And you're not prolonging and compounding your hurt. You put it down way up the road and have been following a path of happiness and fulfillment on your way to success. Remember, success is not the way. Happiness is the way to success. Success will not make you happy. Happy can make you successful, however. The way or the path, the means, is always love, peace, happiness, and a sense of fulfillment. Those are not outcomes or destinations. It's very important. It's one of the ways that you can immediately uh, identify false teachers when they promise happiness or fulfillment or peace of mind as a, or love as a goal or a destination. When in fact it is the way to move forward. Okay? The ultimate goal or destination is to be the best person that you can be as a unique individual in this world in form. Okay, To seek the highest good through right thought, right action, right behavior. To be your best. The rewards are always built in. They are intrinsic. The benefits, you know, the sizzle, is always rolled into the process. It's always part of the process. It'll be there for you in and of itself. Seeking that refinement, that that. Sometimes it's called attainment, but it's more of an unfolding of who you already are, who you always have been. When we talk about potential, it's, it's really not attainment so much as just unfolding this, this innate goodness and truth and beauty that you actually are. Let's review these seven pillars. I found this on the Internet, and I don't have attribution for it, unfortunately. This is not mine, but I thought it was nice. It's not carved in granite. This is not the only way to look at forgiveness, but uh, maybe you could find out more if you just Googled the seven pillars of forgiveness. Uh I'll, I'll review them very quickly, and then uh, we'll go over them in a little more depth 
And then we'll go to your uh, questions and comments, whether by text on the web, you'll see a little box in the lower left. If you don't see it, click on Ask a Question. It'll pop up. And if you're on the telephone, just press on the telephone touchpad star 2, the asterisk in the number 2, and that'll signal to me that um, you have a question or a comment. Excuse me while I take a sip here. My Hawaiian coffee. Here are the seven pillars of forgiveness. Um, understanding, freedom, remedy, warmth, enhancement, hope, and continuance. Now let's see what they mean by that. First of all, the first pillar of forgiveness is understanding. Without understanding the nature and ways of our common humanity, forgiveness has no soil in which to grow. Without understanding the nature and ways of our common humanity, forgiveness has no soil in which to grow. I think common humanity is the key to that phrase or sentence. To understand, forgiveness is certainly easier when you remind yourself, when you understand Pillar one, understanding that all human beings suffer in very similar ways. Now, when I talk about suffering, it may bring up for you an image of uh, somebody that has inherited wealth, that has uh, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, or billions of dollars, uh, can have anything they want by just snapping their fingers. And you might say to me, these people do not suffer. It's absurd to talk about the billionaire suffering the way a child in Calcutta, whose belly is distended from malnutrition, who uh, may be an orphan with both parents dead, living on the street, not knowing from day to day or hour to hour when his or her next meal is going to come from. Um, how do you compare the suffering of the orphan in Calcutta to the billionaire on Wall Street? Well, I would suggest you consider that. Consider the suffering of Bernie Madoff this morning who has just discovered in the last 24 hours that one of his two sons has committed suicide and left a, his wife as a widow and his own two-year-old and four-year-old children as fatherless, hanged himself with a dog collar, either because um, he was involved in the Bernie Madoff uh, embezzlement scam or perhaps some aspect of just being so ashamed of his father. He suffered so much that he hanged himself. 
which many people would argue is very selfish, since he just passes the suffering on to his survivors, including his father, who's in prison for the rest of his life for embezzling money, billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, from other wealthy people. I don't know that you can compare the suffering, but you'll have to admit that there is suffering. I know it's hard to think of uh, the people who uh, proposed uh, waterboarding and torture like George Bush and Dick Cheney as people who suffer when they're the one that ordered the torture, but they do suffer. It's hard to imagine rich and powerful people, especially those who hurt others, as suffering themselves, but they do. And everybody suffers. Everybody has broken hearts. Everybody gets lied to. Everybody knows betrayal. Uh, Everybody knows grief and loss. Uh, We all suffer. We are a common humanity. And there is great strength and compassion and and ability to forgive when we remind ourselves that all human beings suffer in this way. Let me say that more carefully. All human beings suffer, period. Not in this way or that. Again, the billionaire will never suffer in the same way as the orphan in Calcutta. But they both will suffer. That's part of being a human being. That's why this is hell, and our job is to bring heaven to earth. This is hell, right here. There's no other place inside earth, lake of fire, eternal damnation. There's nothing eternal about being condemned to an earthly existence and incarnated, reincarnated over and over and over again. All you have to do is aspire to know yourself as a spiritual being, learn love, compassion, and forgiveness, the qualities of love we happen to be talking about in today's class. Learn that love, that compassion, and that forgiveness. And not only are you, in a sense, redeemed, which is the promise of religion, but more to the point, You redeem the environment. You change the world around you. You make a contribution. You bring heaven to earth. That will be done on earth as it is in heaven, don't you see? That's your job, is to take this hell, born of fear and confusion, and through the understanding and enlightenment of love, as expanded or higher consciousness or awareness, we bring heaven to this existence. We bring light into the darkness. We replace evil with good. Okay. Let's look, let's look at number two, the second pillar of forgiveness, which is freedom. Without responsibility, freedom is an illusion, and forgiveness becomes an empty act. 
Okay, so the freedom to, it's an odd way to talk about it, but I think in and of itself it's liberating to think of responsibility as freedom. Very, very smart thing to do. I'm afraid most of us throughout our lives think of responsibility as a burden. Like, hey, that's not my job description. That's Bill's job. Sally's supposed to cover that. Uh, That's not in my job description. That's not my responsibility. Well, what happens if you make it your responsibility? You see? Um, By accepting responsibility, especially for the hurt and the upset in our lives, we see how we set ourselves up for it, how we create the very vulnerability that we're blaming others for exploiting. Again, uh, you insulted me, you hurt me, I thought you were my friend. Well, what is my need for a friend to always build me up? Why am I not mature enough, evolved enough, sophisticated enough to understand that even my best friend sometimes might hurt me or upset me? And that's okay, I understand. You see, Uh, because we're all members of the common humanity, this is pillar number one, and I understand, pillar number one, understanding our common humanity. And I forgive so that I might be forgiven. Consider, what if this universe, I don't mean a separated God that exists in a body, in a palace in the sky, but what if the collective consciousness of the one life creates circumstances where we are judged by our own higher selves based on how we judge others. That's what many religious and philosophical doctrines say and, and urge us to understand that it is your consciousness and the way in which you judge others that determines how you end up judging yourself. And the only judgment may be yourself, your own self, your higher self, yourself as soul on its own plane, judging your egoic nature to determine the karma in your next lifetime, those lessons that need to be learned in the next round. For what purpose? To evolve you, to grow you, to expand your awareness so that you get better and better and better at bringing heaven into the hellish existence of the physical world of separated form. Separation is at the root of all of our fear, and all evil is born of separation. We're not used to it. Lots, there's lots about it we like, but there's lots about the separated world or the world of separated form that we don't like. It's scary. It feels uh, frightening. We're alienated. We're always reaching out to try to get a hold, to grab on to something, and then to hold on. That holding on slows us down and keeps us stuck. Anytime you're stuck, ask yourself, am I really stuck or is this holding on? 
<laughs> and, and you'll find stuck is always really holding on for dear life because you think it makes you safe while in fact it's that very holding on that's the source of the suffering even a holding on to a grudge or holding on to your hurt because you refuse to forgive so to take responsibility for creating this or contributing to the creation of this hurt is a freedom. A freedom to choose how you look at it and what you do with it. That's why the second pillar is freedom. You take responsibility for your life, not self-blame. But, again, I like responsibility, uh, playing with the word, uh, take it apart. The ability to choose, put choose in the in between those two syllables. Responsibility could be the ability to choose your response. In two areas, it's actually perception and response, perspective or attitude and response, how you look at it and what you do with it. You have choices there. Maybe not a choice in what's been done to you, but clearly you have choices in how you look at it and what you do with it. And as you understand it, you have the freedom to let it go and put it down. I don't need this guidebook anymore. I understand it now. The critical component is to make it about you. It's not, I understand why they hurt me. I understand that I feel hurt, and I'm looking at what that says about me, not about the stimulus. The person, the group, the event, the circumstance that made me feel this way. Okay, number three, remedy. Without remedy and rebalance brought about by forgiveness, how can life ever be cleansed from the repetitive reenactment of yesterday's wounds? Remedy and rebalance. It's only by forgiveness that you can avoid a repetition or this third pillar says a reenactment of yesterday's wounds. I mean, this is like a good school. In a bad school, if you don't understand, if there's no remedy, if you don't get it, you're just passed on, and you never do understand. But in a good school, like a video game, you don't go on to the next level until you understand, right? So uh, you take a test, and you get 30% wrong. Well, the next test are those questions you got wrong on the last one. And if the next time you get half of them right, we're now down to the 15% you still don't understand, and the third test is on that 15% until you do understand all of them. And then you graduate and go on to the next level like a video game, right? Shoots and ladders. So... That's the way good schools are run. Not too many of them do that. We have what's called, um, what is it, social uh, social graduation, social advancement, social passage. In other words, the idea that holding a child back in the school system 
where kids are grouped according to age is traumatizing to a child when they end up two or three years behind they become you know scorned and bullied and well that just points out the problem with schools basing classes on age the most ridiculous mistake that public schools and many private schools for that matter even some charter schools make grouping kids arbitrarily based on age why that's ridiculous doesn't matter how old you are if you read at the third grade level and do math at the eighth grade level and your interest in geography puts you at the fifth grade level doesn't matter how old you are that's where you should be in the third grade level on math and the eighth grade level on reading and the fifth grade level on geography that's where you need to be why don't we do that well frankly because it'll cost a little more and while we have hundreds of billions for war we have bake sales for schools it's just twisted priorities we we haven't grown up in this regard right So that's the first three pillars, understanding, freedom, and remedy. You've got to understand how you brought this about. Then we don't have to go through it. It may sometimes feel like you're going through the same stuff over and over in your life, but notice how if you are growing, You'll go through similar situations, but each time on a slightly higher turn of the spiral so that you're going around, but you're also going up on the spiral. And when you say to yourself, why am I going through this again? Notice it's a little different this time, right? You did get some remedy, and that's why you're moving up the spiral but there's still the round and round part. Hope that makes sense to you. It's a rich allegory. The fourth pillar, I rather like this concept. The fourth pillar and uh, the seven pillars of forgiveness is warmth. And the phrase says here, the sentence says, without trial and error, we could not learn. And the warmth of forgiveness makes way for us to try again. Especially forgiving yourself. This is where forgiving the self is such an important part of it. The whole process of forgiveness has to at least include two parts. Forgive the person or the group or the circumstance that offended you, that hurt you. Let it go. But then forgive yourself with this fourth pillar of warmth. Enjoy the warmth, the wonderful contentment and fulfillment of forgiving yourself. Give is an important part of the word forgiveness. What are you giving? What are you giving away? What are you forgiving? Well, how about give yourself a break? Cut yourself some slack. Let go. If the point of this is to learn, then learn. 
and move on. Let it go. And so when we say all forgiveness is ultimately a gift to yourself, it's because forgiveness in this sense, warmth, pillar four, is really just putting it down. Simply said, forgiveness is putting it down. It's not relevant anymore. There's no benefit in carrying around this hurt. It doesn't prove anything to anybody, and you're starting to irritate her. <laughs> you're starting to irritate people anyway. Give it up. Put it down. Now, some people say there's a third forgiveness that we need to consider here. Not only forgiving the person or group or event that victimized us, and then, secondly, forgiving yourself for setting yourself up, for having the desire or the need for things to be other than they are or have been. But some suggest forgiveness has to include a third step, which is to forgive God or providence, or the absolute nature of fate and destiny, however you look at it, for not intervening or for setting you up in the first place. If you feel like you're a victim of God, that God micromanages your life, if you're one of those people that prays for God to intervene in a football game, or micromanage your life to manage the weather, and and we're petitioning our sense of divinity for these little personal reasons, then this might not make much sense to you. But if it does, or even if it doesn't, I'd have you consider what is meant by forgive the person that hurt you, forgive yourself for believing they had a point, and then forgive God for not intervening. Let go of your issues that uh, God has promised you a rose garden. Consider that you volunteered for duty down here. You ate the apple, so to speak. And I would argue, as many others have in mystery schools from time out of mind, that the soul chooses to incarnate. There is no level of existence where you are denied your free will. Isn't that remarkable? That you always have free will, you always have choice, and therefore responsibility and freedom. And we choose to come in here, and it's not fair. It's damn difficult and challenging, and, and our job is to fix it, to redeem it to make it better, to uplift it, to save it, whatever you, to improve upon it. <laughs> However you want to say that. It's not that complicated of an idea. But too often religion makes it about you getting out of this place and going to a better place. And you just leave the mess behind. Doesn't sound very redemptive to me, especially when the only prayer Hello, Christians, when the only prayer Christ ever taught said, Thy will be done to the Father, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's about the, the kingdom come, the, the kingdom coming to earth. 
Was that the return of Christ, the second coming? Maybe not. So literally, maybe the coming of love and understanding through you and you and you and me. Right? All, each and every one of us, agents of this redemptive spirit, this longing that you cannot deny that you feel on a regular basis, this longing for things to be better, to be just, to be goodness, truth, beauty, peace, kindness. Everybody longs for this deep inside. The worst, most evil person in the world has a little glimmer of that, just as the best, most saint-like person still has a little bit of shadow inside. The idea of dividing the world into good people and bad people is so absurd when you know that everybody has good and bad within them. It's like simple enough, but imagine living your whole life and having that never occur to you. Pillar five is enhancement. And the phrase that modifies this says, forgiveness teaches us to stand against the wrongful act of offense, not the human life that has committed it. Else we deny another their future opportunity. Okay. This is, um, in Christianity, love the sinner and hate the sin. And it rolls off the tongue pretty nicely, but it's really a challenge. Very much a challenge to love the sinner and hate the sin. Now, I don't really like the word sin at all. Um, Too often it suggests a, uh, well, it's like like, uh, breaking the law. When more often than not, a sin is just, oops, messed up, made a mistake, didn't realize. So I think technically the word is rooted in missing the mark somehow. It's an archery term. The sin is to miss the target. And that's a much more accurate meaning than the way we've been taught by Catholic, um, you know, having to do penance, having to be punished, um, Kneeling, the constant kneeling. Uh, that was the worst part of, of the Catholic Church for me as a little boy was all of the kneeling. A throwback to this medieval idea that you have to punish yourself to be redeemed in God's eyes. Um, this Opus Dei group um, has self-flagellation in it. People whip themselves. You know, Dan Brown talked about it in the Da Vinci Code, Opus Dei. It's a real group. They say that it's not such a big deal, that they do it not so much to really hurt themselves as to remind themselves what bad people they are. Well, they're not bad. (laughs) There are no bad people. We just discussed that. Everybody has both light and shadow, a 
reflection of the higher self, the solar self, that's the light, and then the shadow is the ego, basically. And it needs to, it needs to be. It, we need to have a side that identifies as the separated self in a world of separated form, because sometimes people and animals are out to get us. And that's when the fight or flight kicks into gear and the ego jumps into action and says, don't worry, I'll save you, I got your back. I'll shoot first and ask questions later. I'll kill them all and let God sort them out. That's, that's the shadow side in everybody. Everybody's got it, that's for sure. So enhancement, pillar five, forgiveness teaches us to stand against the wrongful act or offense, but not to human life committing it. Okay, So it was wrong what you did, but I can understand that you did it, and that I've probably done it myself, and hopefully I won't, but I may do it in the future, and I'm not willing to judge you for something that I could easily do myself. Like when somebody cuts you off in traffic, how often do you consider that you probably have done that a dozen times in the last year yourself, but just didn't know it? Because you didn't intend to cut anybody off. Doesn't mean you didn't do it. The guy that just upset you made you so angry because he cut you off in traffic. He probably did not intend to do that either. But that doesn't occur to us when we're in fight or flight and blaming and angry and as far from forgiveness as imaginable. Pillar number six in the seven pillars of forgiveness is hope. We each have in us the ability to hold the best of another and trust in the sanctuary of ourselves. You know, it's not just forgiving another person, but wishing for the best for them. Again, on this idea of shared humanity that we talked about, this is where Tibetan Buddhism is so clear when they talk about loving kindness and compassion. Uh, I've seen the Dalai Lama talk about one of the Tibetan priests that was in a Chinese gulag for over 20 years. And when he was finally released and, and met the Dalai Lama in India, the Dalai Lama asked him what it was like in prison. And the priest said, well, it, it was pretty horrible. Um, we were treated pretty badly, and I was actually in danger a couple of times. And in recounting the story, the Dalai Lama says, I thought he meant physical danger. But his, the young Tibetan priest, well, not so young now, he's been in the gulag for 20 years, but as this middle-aged Tibetan priest now says, as he goes on, he says, yes, I was in danger, your holiness. On a couple of occasions, I almost lost my compassion for the Chinese, as if that endangered him. He had put himself in danger in this concentration camp. On a couple of occasions, by losing track of his compassion for the Chinese who were at that time 
imprisoning him. Now, how can they do that, and why would they do that? But to reinforce and underscore the common experience of human beings. They're but for fortune. You know, I may be in your prison camp today, but it's just as likely I could be you, the one who imprisons and justifies it. And then we have to look around and say, where have I imprisoned? Where have I promoted injustice or just ignored injustice when I could have helped? Always make it about yourself. That's not a selfish thing to do if your intention is to redeem that self, to learn and understand. And pillar number seven is called continuance. And the exercise of forgiveness is the longing for the establishment of what ought to be. And the love of this as an inner devotion is connected to the love of life continuing. I'm going to read that again. And the exercise of forgiveness is the longing for the establishment of what ought to be. And the love of this as an inner devotion is connected to the love of life continuing. A longing for the establishment of what ought to be. Do you feel that longing? Do you feel that love that urges you to become a better person, to become kinder, smarter, more loving, more sensitive, more intelligent, more empathetic, more patient, kinder, more tolerant, more gentle? Do you feel that longing? Well, of course you do. You would not be listening to this podcast or attending this webinar live today if you weren't someone who was in touch with that desire. It's not really desire because we use desire, especially in Buddhist philosophy, to refer to physical stuff and money and position. This would be more capital D desire or aspiration to aspire to be a better person. It's not really desire to want to evolve and embody divinity, embody love as consciousness. That's not desire. That longing, that urge is aspiration, to aspire, to move up. Desire is more lateral. I want that car. I want that trophy wife. I want that handsome husband. I want this money. I want this stuff for Christmas. That's desire. And that, by the way, is how we set ourselves up for all of the hurt and suffering. Even if suffering is a little hyperbolic, a lot of what's called suffering, a lot of what we mean by suffering is discontentment. It's just lack of satisfaction. It's a feeling that there's got to be more. A feeling also that life is passing you by. And... Um, as I put in the newsletter last week, also a feeling that everybody is with you or against you, and mostly the latter. But that idea of teams, you're either with me or against me, that binary, 
everything or nothing, the idea that life is passing you by, the idea that life has no meaning or purpose. Uh, all of these are results, signs, the side effects of somebody who is pursuing desire on the horizontal rather than aspiration on the vertical. It's an important distinction. All right, so there's your seven pillars again. I wish I had attribution for you. If you really want it, um, you could try Googling it. I found it on the Internet, and um, it was I think it was a feminist site of some sort. Uh, and I like to give attribution, but I, uh, I just don't have that for you. But whoever put that together, thank you. It's a nice little bit. And now it's yours, the seven pillars of forgiveness. Okay, so let's go to your questions and comments. If you're on the telephone, press star 2. Don't see any hands just yet. And let's go to the um, this uh, Q&A page and see if we have text messages today. Again, happy holidays to each of you, wherever you happen to be. Judy Kraft is with us from Arcadia. Hi, Judy. She says, uh, my favorite quote comes from Mark Twain. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds. Oh, these, I'm sorry, Judy, this printing. It's, it's not you. You just typed it. But my screen makes it hard to read. Here we go. My favorite quote comes from Mark Twain. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Oh, that's very nice. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Yeah, that's very nice. In other words, no judgment. There's something about Whenever you give a flower, a bit of the fragrance remains on your hand. A similar kind of aphorism I always like to. John Bowles in Pittsburgh, nice to be here. Hello, John. Nice to have you on board today. Lorelei out of Tucson says, Aloha, Michael. Is forgiveness something we should not worry about others giving us? Work-related, if we make a decision in our life, that you know will anger and upset others that trusted and or who trusted and invested time in you and, and counted on you. Uh, happy holidays to you and Doreen and all your listeners. Is forgiveness something we should not worry about others giving us? To be forgiven, in other words. Well, yes, you have no control over that. So what's the point of worrying about anything? over which you have no control. Um, again, all the wisdoms of all the ages start with know thyself. Um, make it about yourself. Whatever the circumstance or situation and why ever it may seem to be troubling or hurtful to you, take some ownership. Make it about you. It's hurting me. You know, Let's make this real clear by comparing emotional pain to physical pain. If somebody hits you with a stick and hurts you, you know the pain 
of being hit by that stick reflects the injury that's being done to you by the stick and by the person wielding it, yeah, but the pain is about you, ultimately, even though it's been done to you. When the person stops hitting you with the stick, you'll likely continue to have pain, and that pain is a symptom of your damage, what's been done to you. The pain tells you nothing about the stick. It tells you nothing about the person that wielded the stick. Throwing the stick away, breaking it into pieces, attacking, arresting, imprisoning the person that beat you up with the stick, none of that mitigates your pain. It's already been done to you, and now it's your pain and reflects your condition and your situation. And if that's so obvious with physical pain, why is it so hard for us to understand when someone has broken our hearts? Or if you see you've broken their heart or created some hurt, you can always apologize, but there's no guarantee that your apology will be accepted or that that other person will forgive you. So there's not much you can do other than express your sensitivity and, and apologize. But you can't need for them to forgive you. Right? But in terms of you forgiving them, it's always in your interest. But remember, that remedy, that freedom that we talked about, those two pillars, requires personal responsibility. This pain is my pain. Maybe you did it to me, but... Remember the Eleanor Roosevelt quote, no one can make you feel inferior without your content. If somebody says to you, you are stupid, and that hurts, it's because some part of you thinks they've got a point. Some part of you thinks maybe that's true. If you knew yourself better, you'd know it's not true, and you would look at them with forgiveness and compassion. Like knowing you're not stupid, and yet they just told you, you're stupid. Not only do you not get angry, you look at them like, well, why would you say that when it's not true? And you have pity and compassion for what they're attempting to do, to bring you down, because they don't know how to build themselves up. That poor person. And you go to compassion. And it's a gift to yourself. It doesn't hurt. Okay. By the way, Judy's uh, comment about Mark Twain. And thanks for that, Judy. I've never heard that before. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Um, it reminds me that there is an autobiography of Mark Twain that has just been released. I believe it just came out this week. And Twain, Samuel Clemens, did not want this released for a hundred years. He wrote his autobiography and gave it to the publisher and said, keep this under lock and key for 100 years. And in 2010, you can publish it. Well, the time is here. So 
I think it's out now, or maybe on January 1st. It's coming out real soon if it's not already out. That I love Mark Twain. I think that'd be interesting to, to see and to read. Uh, let's see. Um, Lorelei comes back and says, if people cannot forgive, I can forgive them for not being forgiving. Yes, of course. <laughs> yes, very good. And Judy, again, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. I like that. Yeah, even... There's a... Uh, on the Rider White deck, uh, I don't remember which card it is, but there's a card where people are chained. But my wife pointed out to me years ago, if you look very closely, the chains could easily be lifted off. You know, they're not really bound in chains. They just appear to be. And that, again, is that esoteric understanding. Uh, the prisons in which we live, we hold the keys to those prisons. We built those prisons. We we jail ourselves inside prisons of our own making. Dylan Canoga Park is uh, with us again today. Hello, Phil. He says, busy, uh, as usual, with Facebook and fighting the TSA. Greetings to you, Doreen and Steve. Thanks, Phil. Robert Siegel and Del Mar, aloha, Michael. Through your teachings, I learned to forgive, and I have to tell you that when I let go of all of my grudges and my hurt, I had a euphoric sense of lightness and felt good all over. Felt like I just... Uh, I'm going to skip that part. Felt good all over, period. Uh, <laughs> the rest will be between you and me, Rob. Uh, great topic. Curtain hate is such a waste of energy and um, uh, waste of energy in life. Have a magical week of peace. Rob in Del Mar, California. Uh, let's see if we have any more. Uh, Martin Bailey or Martine Bailey in Cape Canaveral. Nice talk. Thank you, Michael. And Martin is one of our new listeners. He's been on the last couple of weeks. In Manteca, California, Rick says, Aloha, Michael. Excellent talk from a wonderful person. Well, thank you, Rick. Aspire to your level of consciousness. Great. And John Bowles, again, outstanding class. Thanks, guys. Let's go over to the... Um, telephones and see if we have any hands raised star two will raise your hand and uh, in west la robert is with us and robert has something he'd like to share with us hi robert you're on the mystery school class hello michael aloha aloha hey uh real quick since you're probably running out of time or we're running a little late it's, it's interesting how uh, so much of what we consider to be our consciousness, our present moment awareness, is encumbered by the ancient past, and past we don't remember, and things that we wouldn't even attribute to human existence or connect to human existence. Uh, for example, uh, when you put that out there on the Facebook, I didn't see it, but many people replied that they had never even considered they never thought about why it is that they're so reluctant to just put something down, to let it go in terms of forgiveness. Yeah. They hold on to it. Right. And they come to that block, that wall that says, well, I just don't know. 
Well, there's a reason for that. And that's because the reason, if we want to call it that, is in another domain of consciousness that's not all that accessible. It's very interesting. The ego, the ego's principal function, its primary action in any of us, is to make us distinct from other people. And unfortunately, in human beings, the way that this is done often is, is quite negative, uh, emphasizing uh, differences instead of looking at similarities and not really coming up with really creative distinctions. But distinction is what it seeks. This is rooted in ancient survival drives when we were nothing but pups in a litter trying to make it to the limited amount of teats um, <laughs> when we when the survival was directly connected to our being acknowledged as belonging to a particular entity that was responsible for us in some way and to gain that to gain that recognition to get that recognition was a matter of survival and it's held over and it expresses itself even today we never what well, we never question is well wait a minute today the thing we need to remind ourselves is i don't need the recognition of somebody that isn't responsible for me. Yes, I'm a human being and I'm part of this great net of Indra, this net of gems where, you know, everyone reflects all the others. And in fact, all the rest of any one of us is in a way dependent upon all the rest of humanity being what it is. But the reality is it's not like being a pup in a litter. And yet that's the key. That's the cord that it strikes in us when somebody uh, does something um, that hurts our feelings, for example, and they refuse to acknowledge that, that is the core that strikes. And, and we hang on to that because, damn it, if nobody else is, I'm going to hold on to the fact that I'm a self. I'm individually distinct, you know, even if nobody else will. But ultimately, it's rooted, part of it anyway, in just raw survival and memories of survival and needing to be sufficiently distinct in order to survive. And very obviously, that is something, that is a condition that in this present time, in this culture, in this mode of life, we've largely gotten beyond We've advanced beyond it. It's become obsolete, and yet it's you know it's still it's something we haven't purged from our deep psyche yet. Uh, I think that's all really uh, well said. I'm, I keep thinking of um, Maslow while you're describing that, because to lay Maslow's hierarchy over the top of what you're saying, where we start with survival in terms of. I need oxygen, I need water, I need food. Uh, but then, you know, I um, my needs evolve right on up through uh, a need to be loved, right. uh, a need to be held and made to feel safe, especially as children. But then, 
Um, Maslow even used self-actualization, um, which is spirit, more spiritual, less secular person might call self-realization. But I think that's what you're talking about, two different selves. The, the, the self that needs to survive is really not in that much danger. That's the distinct self, uh, as you called it, the separated self. And then to, to, be, to be actualized or self-realized is to know there's a higher self uh, for which survival is not really an issue. Because <laughs> the consciousness is already everywhere equally present, a part of all things, as you said, and, um, and eternal and infinite. So it, it, its, it's survival is not an issue. So who do we relate to? Well, we're most of us at the bottom of that hierarchy or near the bottom working our way up the up the uh, this is why the chakra system is so beautiful you got the 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 same kind of thing there like the uh, the snakes and the caduceus uh, these two energies winding their way around the spine uh, evolving the ev- the evolution of consciousness um, can be seen even in 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 climbing maslow's scale and finding the the higher self at the the top polarity, which is not distinct uh, in the way that the physical self is. It's all a problem of the physical world and everything being separated, I guess. Yeah, the, and if you think of survi- raw survival, you know, the, the, the physical, whether the any physical. of us or not, um, gaining these access, if you will, to the subtlest realms is, for the moment, highly dependent upon our physical existence. This simple physical existence, as many, many uh, adepts from traditions all over the place for countless centuries have identified, is is really the key to the kingdom. It's from this humble little uh, physical life that we're able to access all the subtler dimensions, all the angelic realms um, from here. So physical survival is not something to, you know, that we want to take lightly. The reality is we do have to care for this physical mechanism. And it's just simply something, that when, it, when it comes to these, these encumbrances that we have from ancient times, where we were so dependent um, on, let's say, another being for survival, which all of us still are as infants. But even that is something we've outgrown. If if we look at ourselves as a person in middle age, that condition is something long past. It's not relevant. And so many of the things that we react to in a negative way have to do with connections um, to the unconscious which simply are not relevant. They just need to be purged. And as you brought up and have talked about many times, meditation is the master key uh, to really creating what I would call an exfoliation in consciousness where these layers, these, these, these layers of detritus come off. <laughs> we, we get free of them because... Um, you know, it's just like a like a snake that hasn't really shed its skin in a while. Um, boy, that can really become a drag. 
and uh, in a psychic sense, a mental sense, an emotional sense, all of us really need to shed periodically, and we're not, for whatever reason, uh, we're not really encouraged to do so. Um, but anyway, that's my two cents. Uh, for anybody wanting to really get at the root of this, they really got to go back and look at some of these and, and see them in consciousness because they, they can be experienced. These, these desperately old connections to things that served us at one time but are now nearly completely irrelevant. Yeah, first of all, uh, following up on, on what you're saying, the idea that just because we think it, it's true is ridiculous. Uh, we have lots of thoughts that aren't true. Um, to get 100% on a test is rare. It's very common to think things are true when they're not true. So to be driven by our thoughts, especially when our thoughts argue with each other, we have that on-second thought phenomena. Uh, in fact, it's difficult to have uh, a distinct thought that doesn't bounce off some emotion and generate a contradictory thought. And then we argue with ourselves about what we think and yet identify the self with that argument. Most of what we perceive as danger is really not dangerous. As you've indicated, it's just confusing. <laughs> a part of the argument that comes out of believing that your thoughts and feelings are who you are. They're an important part of who we are, but uh, clearly you and I and, and, and the people that attend this class know that, that there is an aspect of self that uh, stands above all of that and it's called awareness or or consciousness let me in fact while i have you robert if you've got just a couple of more minutes let me ask you something that um i've asked a couple of friends recently and i was wondering about this i usually use consciousness and awareness interchangeably i like to have a synonym so I'll usually, if I say one, consciousness, I'll, next, next sentence, I'll call it awareness or vice versa. I, I have a, a, a belief, an understanding, that generally in Eastern philosophy, awareness stands above consciousness. But in discussions with some friends, they are under the impression that in Western philosophy, it's usually reversed, and that awareness is always within the five senses, and consciousness stands above it. I was just curious about your take on that. Do you use them interchangeably, or do you see one as, in a sense, um, equated to the most divine, God, the absolute, and the other one the way it manifests in the soul? Good question. Uh, the way I generally describe it when asked this question uh, is actually like this. Uh, awareness is intrinsic and innate. Like a, and it is like a highly charged field, like the, 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 the fabric of space, if you will. Highly charged, 
field of energy. A matrix. Which is awareness, the, the ethers, awareness. It's intrinsic awareness. Consciousness, however, is a dynamic. Consciousness occurs when there is recognition of something in the field of awareness. Yeah, so you would you would if you had to capitalize one or the other, you'd capitalize awareness. Awareness as being the ultimate state that is prior to consciousness. Fully conscious. Well, the, when we use the, when we use that term fully conscious, then we lose, then we start to get into really difficult semantic traps. For for example, fully conscious of what? Well, is is the, is innate awareness as a field, conscious of itself as a thing, as you and I? No, no, not a thing. But Plato would say to share the ground of God is not to believe your God, but to know there is nothing else but God, and you're um, an aspect of that, a part of that, a point of view of that. But unlike the ego, which doesn't really know it often, um, that it's part of the ground of, of God, um, consciousness or the soul would would share the ground. Now, you're, you're talking about that ground of God as a magnetic field, um, which I relate to even more, an organized field of energy that's everywhere equally present, like, like a radio field. Um, you know, the, except radio being broadcast through space does diminish, but any electromagnetic energy that exists outside of space and time would never diminish or, or, or be affected. Um, so... Your belief, then, is more in line with my understanding of Eastern philosophy, which is that the the awareness would be that, uh, at a higher, more unified level than consciousness. Consciousness, you say, is dynamic. Awareness would be unmoved and unmovable, then. Right. The, 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 all, the, uh, the, the, what is it, the old English saying, um, that which not can be said. I mean, it's yeah. that that there was a. Uh, I think it was Nasargadatta who even uh, coined the phrase "prior to consciousness." Our truest being is prior to consciousness. Consciousness is really, as I as I call it, a dynamic, and and. I mean that in the abs- in the actual sense of the word dynamic, which is a, a an observer and observe both actually sharing that activity, one observing the other, observing the other, and in the process in the process of a dynamic, altering each other moment to moment to moment. So something arises in the field of awareness, and we have consciousness that I am comes into being. But as my teacher uh, many, many years ago said, you go to the I am, and the I am is your starting point. That's your, that's your anchor. That's the point from which your, your practice begins. And in your contemplation of I am, you go beyond even that to a place where we simply can't even talk about it. 
this, the, our, our language doesn't enable yeah. a conversation, which is why teachers for centuries have said, rather than get into debates about it, have simply pointed their students in the direction of what? Practice. Meditation, yeah. contemplation, exercise. Yeah. Because experience is the thing that will alter their ideation, their whatever ideas they have, whatever beliefs they have, wherever they're frozen in their conception of reality, that can be altered by experience surer than anything. That's another good platonic word, ideation. The idea that truth is in ideation and not in the rose, but in God's conception of the rose. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, I think the terms will continue to be commingled, but um, you're, you're helping me to, to, to understand that I think as far as Eastern philosophy goes, um, that was my understanding also. Simply said that awareness is a spirit at the highest frequency, and consciousness is the soul's perspective. But then there is the consciousness of the incarnated uh, egoic human as well. And uh, that consciousness varies. Sometimes we're asleep and um, almost virtually unconscious. So... Uh, when when you one could think of it as the relationship of parent to child. Oh uh, yeah, that's nice. the the intrinsic innate awareness is is the the parent the consciousness uh, as experienced from one of these platforms called you and I, which is ultimately a vantage point of the absolute uh, is the child of that. Yeah, or the son even in in the sense of right to go back. Yeah, to go back to the Trinity. Father and the Son. Okay, I want to do a quick med, so we're going to slide out of here. Robert, thanks for your call. Hey, thank you. Aloha. Aloha. And um, let's see. Let me go back to the Q&A and see if there's any text questions that have come in while Robert and I were talking. Um, yeah, David Cantu is also with us in Burbank. And... Um, which word dates back further in time, awareness or consciousness? David says, I don't know. I don't know. Because they're English words, and, and English words themselves don't go back very far. <laughs> uh, English uh, had no style, no grammar, and the very, very limit of vocabulary until Shakespeare's time. So... Um, it's not an ancient language. You, you could go back to the Latin, the Greek, the Aramaic, Aramaic the Mithraic languages. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's do our uh, meditation. It's already uh, in real time, 45 after the hour. And uh, this whole thing just stops at the top of the hour. So let's do a quick meditation on forgiveness. Close your eyes if this is a good time for you. Get relaxed and take a couple of slow, deep breaths. As you inhale through the nose, ideally, pull in strength and power and hold for a moment as you peek. It's as you exhale that you feel the letting go. Muscles relaxing and unwinding. 
After two or three or even four slow deep breaths, put your awareness gently in the bottom of your nose and turn your breathing over to autopilot and feel the continuing relaxation throughout the inhalation and exhalation process. Inhaling naturally, you relax, and exhaling, you relax. If you lift your attention for a moment to the space around your ears, you may surprise yourself with how much letting go you can feel in the space around your ears when you relax your scalp. And with your awareness on the jaw, and where it connects to the skull, release all that jaw tension. Relax your tongue. Allow the tip of your tongue to gently touch the roof of your mouth. But let the tongue itself just float freely. In fact, with a little imagination, you could even imagine feeling the gums around your teeth relaxing. Imagine the grip of your gums on your teeth relaxing. Imagine if you could feel the subtle letting go. Imagining that throughout your entire body, from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, veins and arteries and tiny little thread-like capillaries dilate. As you continue to relax and feel safe, feel the letting go of your train of thoughts, letting go of any emotional disturbance, letting go of physical tension, feeling safer and more relaxed with every breath. And going back to the breath at your core to center yourself in the present moment. Now I'd like you to think of someone in your life that you remain angry at, at whom you remain angry, I'll say it that way. There may be many, allow one to pop into your mind. Consider a grudge that you've been hesitant to drop for fear that if you forgive and you put that grudge down, you'll be even more vulnerable to hurt again and realize that the healing comes from the letting go, not the holding on. Forgive that person based on the fact that they're part of a common humanity, no better, no worse than any of us. Put it down. It's in the past. It has no existence today if you don't drag it 
into each day, waking up in the morning and dragging past her into that present day is unnecessary. If you're willing to face it, understand it, explore it fully. Understand what it says about you, that that hurt, that anguish, that desire for approval and acceptance, that neediness for things to be other than they are. Let go of all that. Put it down. There's a burden you wish to carry no longer. Let it go. Forgive this person, this circumstance, this event, this individual or group of individuals that hurt you or did you wrong. Just put it down. If some of it haunts you, stays with you, that feels tenacious and sticks to you, make it about you. Always make it about yourself. How did they hurt me? Why does that hurt? What part of me believes in the insult? How did I empower them to cause me to feel this way when I really don't want to feel this way. Why would I continue to give them the power to do that to me if no one can hurt me without my permission? Not emotionally, anyway. Physically, somebody could hurt me, I suppose, without my permission, but to hurt me emotionally, there's got to be some buy-in. Refuse to buy-in. Then forgive yourself for contributing to the whole situation, for being confused, for just not being sure, for needing other people to build you up in the absence of your own self-confidence of who you are. And keep in mind that it's always in our interest when we develop our awareness of who we are, to move toward humility, to move toward harmony and unity, kindness and and compassion, sympathy, empathy, understanding, caring, loving. Move toward the humility, toward the goodness and the truth and the beauty of it all. Move toward the gentle part and the peaceful part, the kind part. It's a practice. Develop yourself in the image of what you'd like to become, of of what you exalt as the good, the true, and the beautiful, as divine, as holy, as beloved. Go to humility. Forgive those who hurt you. Forgive you. Forgive yourself for buying into it and doubting and empowering others to hurt you. And forgive your sense of God, fate, the absolute, 
the universe, providence, destiny, for the design, for not intervening, for not being the micromanager that could sway a high school football game if you only prayed hard enough. And so, in just this one instance, this one particular individual or circumstance where you're practicing forgiveness now, understand how you set yourself up for it, forgive yourself, forgive the other. It's likely they never intended to hurt you at all anyway. And even if they did, it's in your interest, a gift to yourself, to stop carrying it around, prolonging it and compounding the hurt. Put it down here. Leave it here. And as these moments tick into the past, watch them disappear toward the horizon, getting smaller and smaller and less relevant as you bring your attention perpetually into the present moment. And so breathe in the now, inhale, hold for a moment, and as you exhale, open your eyes now, wide awake, alert, back in the room, rested and refreshed, and feeling fine, better than before. If you like the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, you enjoy these classes, you're very much going to like the premium audio program that my business partner, uh, Steve Snyder, and I do. Currently, for only 99 cents, a subscription is 3.96 a month. That price is not going to remain there for long. And yet, if you subscribe now, we'll grandfather you in. These programs are 15 to 20 dollars a piece on any self-improvement site. You can subscribe for four dollars a month. 99 cents a program. Not a lot of money, but it goes a long way to defer our costs and even support this free webinar, as well as the other services we provide. The uh, white papers, the free ebooks, usually free material, the tons and tons of free material we have on both of our sister websites, focusedpassion.com and theagelesswisdom.com. And be sure and check out the Maui Retreat. Both of those sites have a button for the Maui Retreat in February. We talked a little bit about it at the top of the program. Sure would love to see you here in February of 2011 for the Maui Mindfulness Retreat. So remember the ED in Focused Passion, the W's dot focusedpassion.com or the W's dot theagelesswisdom.com. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.